0: And so we're, we're going through Psalm 23. We've, we've been at it three weeks now. And I want us to read, uh, before we go any further, I want us to read uh, what, what we've covered so far. So it'll be up on the screen if we could read this together. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I fear no evil, for you are with me. And so that is verses 1 through 3 uh, goes all the way up to he leads me in, paths of, uh, in right paths for his name's sake. Um, and, and then the last verse, even though I walk through the darkest valley, I fear no evil, for you are with me. And that's, that's what we're covering today. Now, before we begin into that particular verse, I want to share a little bit about my own experience with Psalm 23. Um, I can remember memorizing Psalm 23 at some point. I don't remember exactly when or what prompted me to memorize Psalm 23. But I can remember a point in time in college when I was on a mission trip to El Salvador, to the Shalom home that we partner with today, actually. And after our team meeting at night, I would, I would go, and I would basically go on a prayer walk. Um, it was a time in my life where I was really um, excited about following God, and I really wanted Psalm 23 to be true for me. Um, I wanted God to be my shepherd. I wanted him to lead me so that I did not want anything, but I had everything I needed Um, I wanted him to lead me, uh, to lie down in green pastures, to lead me beside still waters. Um, I knew that I often uh, struggled with busyness and I knew that I I wanted God to slow me down so he could restore my soul. I wanted God to lead me in the right paths. I knew that um, I did not want to just say I followed Jesus, but I wanted my life to be transformed so that it reflected what following Jesus looks like. And I knew that uh, that would mean choosing different paths, the right paths. And, and, and as, I, as I can think back, praying through this psalm, I, I can just, I have such fond memories of those first three verses. And then we get to verse four. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I fear no evil, for you are with me. And, and you know, I think at the time, I wanted really badly to, for this to be true for me, but to be honest, I was at a mountaintop I was not in a dark valley. And so I'm not really sure I worked through this for myself. I'm not sure I really worked through with God what does it look like for me to follow him in a dark valley. Um, and actually if I, think, if I think through it a little bit more, this is maybe actually what I wish verse 4 would be like. Even though dark valleys exist, I am not afraid for you keep me out of them. That that's the Thomas Johnson standard version Um, It's not authorized. Um, It is heretical. It's not what the psalmist says. And and so while I think we want God to be our shepherd, uh, I just think that this part of the psalm challenges us because it leads us to a place that we really would rather not go. So let's pray as we begin looking at this. God, help us to go somewhere that's hard. God, help us as we, as we work through this psalm, as we listen to your word and let your spirit come and search the depths of our hearts. Help us to be honest with where this rubs us. Help us to let down our guard so that you can come in and show us what it looks like to follow you, even in the dark valleys. God, come and let the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing to you, for you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. And so this problem of not wanting to go through dark valleys, I I don't think it's something just I struggle with. I think it's something that um, I see fairly often in many people's lives. And I came across a book a few years ago, um, a book by Timothy Keller. He's a pastor in New York City. Uh, The book is called Walking with God Through Pain and Suffering. And in the beginning of the book, he he starts in one of the first chapters, he he talks about different cultures of suffering. In different ways, the different cultures throughout history have, have taught themselves how to process suffering. How to, how to answer the question, why do bad things happen? How do we get through them? Um, what, what, how are we going to work through the dark valleys is kind of how that relates to this topic today. And it's interesting, Timothy Keller identifies four different cultures of suffering. There's a moralistic culture, which says that bad things happen because uh, we make bad choices. We do wrong things. And so if we want the bad things to stop happening, we need to stop doing wrong things. Um, Hinduism is actually an example of this, where the belief of karma says that if I'm suffering in this life, it's because of something in the past life I did that was wrong. And then if I want to stop suffering, I would make sure I don't do wrongdoings in this life. And then my next life, it'll be a lot better. That's the promise of, of karma and Hinduism. That's how that framework works. Um, there's a self-transcendent framework. Um, Buddhism is similar to this. Um, it says that suffering is basically an illusion. And if you meditate and rise above it, you can, uh, you can basically escape it through meditation. Um, there's a fatalistic um, culture or framework of suffering. The fatalistic uh, framework says that uh, suffering is your destiny. You can't escape it, so you need to, to toughen up, build up endurance, and you will receive glory and honor on the other side of that. So Greek Stoicism is a great example of that, uh, kind of how that's, that's one um, kind of religion or culture that has taken the, the fatalistic approach to suffering. And then there are many different uh, cultures and societies that prefer a dualistic approach to suffering, which says that There is a great cosmic battle, and we are the victims caught between good and evil forces fighting. We we are the casualties of that war, but if we stay strong to the end, one day the good will prevail, and we will not have to suffer anymore. And so, I'm not trying to say that one of these is right or wrong. Um, I actually don't think Christianity fits in only one of these categories. Um, And and the goal today is not to uh, come up with an entire theology of suffering. As, As as exciting as that would be. But um, really, the more interesting thing is Timothy Keller says that these are present throughout many cultures and throughout history, but in our modern Western world, we actually have a different culture of suffering. None of those quite fit what we see in the Western secular world. He says that in the Western secular world, our approach to suffering is that suffering does not have any purpose or rhyme or reason but it is uh, purely an accident. And if we believe that the reason for suffering is just because it's an accident, it's an inconvenience for my life, then the way we get through suffering is we avoid it at all costs. We, we just, we run from it. We insulate ourselves from any kind of pain or suffering or hurt. And, um, and if we do that, maybe at least in this life, we can enjoy ourselves for a little bit. And, and whether that's what we personally believe or not, the world around us lives by that. We seek out uh, the safest neighborhoods to live in. We take vitamins so that we can be healthier. We, we try to improve our physical fitness. We try to deny our own mortality even by um, seeking youth. And I think at the root of that is this, this distaste for suffering, this, this, this feeling that maybe it's all just an inconvenience and if I can avoid it, I want to. And so Timothy Keller summarizes this, the secular framework for suffering. He summarizes it well in this quote. Um, He says, in the secular view, suffering is never seen as a meaningful part of life, but only as an interruption. Now, as much as I feel the pull to agree with this, I also find some problems with it. Um, You see, I think there's some parts of life that whether we like it or not, Um, we we have to face hard times. Uh, There are some hard times that we can choose to run away from, but if we do, I think it will stop us from growing. It will stop us from moving forward. And I don't think we will enjoy life to the fullest. Um, I think think there are a number of situations in life where we have to choose if we're going to avoid a dark valley or if we're going to walk through it. When a loved one dies, we can avoid the dark valley and put up a strong front and pretend that we're okay right or we can move through the dark valley by doing the hard work of grief and loss that that, that is hard that's a dark valley but you don't you don't get ahead in life by pretending that that's not there and running away from it uh, a few more that i was uh, that i was thinking of um, when our life plans and our hopes and dreams come crashing down we can pull ourselves up or we, we can avoid the dark valley by pulling ourselves up by our own bootstraps, by doubling our efforts, by making sure that we can get what we want the next time. Or we can move through the dark valley by going to God to process what's happened and consider, God, what are your plans for my life? Um, when, when we are battling with depression, we can avoid the dark valley by pretending that we're happy. Or we can move through the dark valley by going to God, by going to someone who we know cares about us and saying, I am stuck in this and I don't know how to get out. Uh, When we're stuck in addiction and unable to get ourselves out, we can avoid the dark valley by convincing ourselves that uh, maybe what we're addicted to only really affects us anyways. It doesn't hurt anyone else, uh, whether it's alcohol or drugs or the more subtle things like money, success, comfort, material goods, safety, safety. Or we can move through the dark valley. And we can go to the people that care about us. We can admit that maybe we have a problem that's out of our control. And we need someone bigger to help us deal with that. When we are sick and facing our own mortality. We can avoid the dark valley. We can pretend that our fear of death is not there. We can pretend that we're going to be a trooper. Or we can, we can move through the dark valley. We can... We can bring up that, that fear, that concern. We can let God show us the hope of the resurrection to take away that fear. But in each of those situations, and in, and in whatever it is that's happening in your life or in my life, um, there are times when we could, av- we could choose to avoid the dark valley. But I think we're better off moving through it with the Lord as our shepherd and so there's that practical side of me that says, well, that's probably enough to convince me that avoiding it at all costs, avoiding suffering at all costs is probably not the right answer in life. But then we see that we have this psalm uh, which, which is built on the Lord being our shepherd. And I think if it is our goal to avoid the dark valley, I think that we will find ourselves in, in a very tough spot when there is a dark valley in front of us I don't think we would be able to claim the Lord as our shepherd if trying to avoid the dark valleys is our number one goal. I think instead we might say, you know what God, it's been great following you in the green pastures. I've really enjoyed those still waters. My soul is restored and I'm glad I'm on right path but God, now that we're in the dark valleys, I think I'm going to be my own shepherd. <laughs> I think I will, uh, I would rather do this myself. Maybe I can find a better way, God. And So How do we be the kind of people that follow God, not only in the green pastures or the still waters when our soul is restored, how do we be a people that also follow Jesus when there's dark valleys that come about? Well, luckily, I think this psalm uh, gives gives us the answer. For you are with me, is what David says. It's the confidence that no matter what happens, no matter what valley David was in when he wrote this, I'm sure he had some things in mind. He knows that the God of the universe is with him. And that makes all the difference. When I was, uh, when I was growing up, I grew up in a family that went hunting. Um, I moved to California when I was six. Um, but we came back to Texas every deer season. And Yes, every deer season. Either Thanksgiving or Christmas, right? So every deer season, we came back. And, um, and, went, and I got to go hunting with my dad. I have so many good memories hunting with my dad and with my uncle and my grandpa. Um, I'm so grateful for that. One of the things that I remember, though, is that deer hunts always started in the early, early morning. I mean, I mean, early. Like, it was dark outside. The only thing you could see is what was illuminated by the moon and the starlight, which is a lot more than what's illuminated by the moon and the starlight here in Austin because you actually have a moon and starlight out in the hill country. But, but it, was, it was dark. So we would get up early, we'd eat, scarf down a quick breakfast, and then uh, we'd get in the back of a pickup truck and drive out in the pasture to a spot and park the truck. And then we would have a 10 or 15-minute walk to the deer blind. And I remember following my dad. I can remember trying to, trying to step in his footsteps. Um, because I thought maybe, you know, my dad knows what he's doing. I want to be really quiet. I don't want to scare the deer, so I'd try to walk in his footsteps. Uh, but I also wanted to stay close to him because it was dark. There were things out there. I didn't know everything that was out there at some points. And there came a day when my dad uh, had me begin hunting on my own, and, and probably because my younger brother needed him. Um, my brother's five years younger than me, so uh, at some point my dad said, you know what, I think you're big enough to walk to the blind on your own. You know where it is. You've been, there. You've been here. You've, you've been to that blind. And I can remember that first walk and how, how terrifying it was. See, you see, it was scary because it was dark. And I knew what lived in the hill countries of central Texas. I mean, there's rattlesnakes, right? So that's scary. Um, there, there's, there's wild hogs. We're overrun with those. And you don't want to run into that in the dark. But then, in my uh, young teenager mind, my, uh, my imagination would, would create fears that were not even rational. You know, the, the year after I watched Jurassic Park, it was awful. I was convinced a velociraptor was going to jump out of the woods and get me. And, and it was probably in those moments where I, where I was afraid that I wished my dad was with me. I would never have probably told him that. I probably felt like I should be tough enough to, to not have to be afraid, Right? But I wanted my dad with me. And why did I want my dad with me? My dad being with me didn't take away the fact that it was dark. Um, He he didn't take away the fact that there were still rattlesnakes and hogs and other wild animals in the woods in central Texas. Um, My dad being with me meant that I was not alone. My dad being with me meant that I didn't have to be afraid because there was someone bigger and stronger than I was that had been there before that knew the path better than I did isn't that what it's like to walk through a dark valley with the Lord as our shepherd? The Lord being our shepherd, God being with us, it doesn't take away the dark valley. As much as I would like for my version of verse four to be true, right? God doesn't take away the dark valley, but when he is with me, I know that I don't have to be afraid. I don't have to fear evil because I know that the God of the universe that is far bigger and stronger and more powerful than myself is with me. That he can protect me from that which is dangerous, even when it is a dark valley that is hard to go through. There's something even more specific about this phrase um, that, that really stood out to me. You know, in the, first, in the first three verses of this psalm, David speaks about God in the third person. He talks about the Lord being his shepherd. He talks about all that God does. He leads, makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He Leads me in right paths for his name's sake. But when David gets to the dark valley, he doesn't talk about God anymore. He talks to God. You are with me. I can't help but think that there's some purpose in that. There's some significance that when we are in the dark valley, it's not just the fact that there is a God that's there. It's, it's that relationship we have with God becomes unquestionably important. That we need God so much, not just a distant God that we've learned something about, but a God that we know that knows us, that we know his deep love for us. That that is something that gets us through the dark valleys, is our relationship with God. Uh, my grandmother is, is one of the best examples of this that I know. Uh, I called her Granny. Uh, she was my mom's mom. She uh, lived in Brunham, Texas, uh, and uh, when in 1970, when she had two girls at home, and two girls in college, her husband died of a heart attack rather suddenly. And he was the sole breadwinner. Uh, my mom was 12. She was living at home still with her older sister. O- other, other two more sisters, there were four girls, uh, were in college. And, and so my grandmother at that point had to figure out how to get through that dark valley. Um, that was one of those that she really couldn't avoid. I mean, and I guess she could have. She could have just thrown in the towel, right? She could have said, you know what? This is awful, and I'm just going to give up on life. But she didn't, she didn't do that. So my grandmother, uh, my granny, up until that point, she had gone to church, grew up a devout Catholic, um, became an Episcopalian because she married a Methodist. It's funny how that works, right? And they, they had good church attendance. They baptized their kids. Uh, they were involved. But it wasn't until after uh, she lost the love of her life that she had to turn to God and get to know God, and begin to learn God's love for her personally. You know, it started with her minister recommending that maybe she go on a, um, a retreat, something similar to a Walk to Emmaus weekend. Um, and as she did that, she encountered God um, in a close and personal way. Um, from there, she began to read books about God. And as she learned more about God, she wanted more of God in her life. So she began to do Bible studies um, she did a community Bible study for I don't know how many years. My mom still has all of her notes from all of that. And as she began to do Bible study, she began to realize that she didn't want to just learn about this God. She wanted to know this God. And so she began to read books on prayer and develop her own prayer life. And um, in her 80s, she was praying two hours a day. That was the first two hours of her morning was coffee, and she, she had a prayer packet not a prayer list. It was like a prayer packet. And I remember me being in college and she would call me and ask me, what things should I write down to pray for you? Such a devout woman. And she had to navigate the, the loss of the love of her life um, she had to take over the family business that was a picture and frame shop in, in, uh, in Brenham, Texas. She had to, they had to downsize to move houses because they could not afford to live in the house that they once lived in. They had to ask neighbors for help because financially they couldn't make ends meet at time. Uh, she told me stories before she died about praying in the years right after my grandpa died. And uh, pr- praying and telling God, we just don't have enough money to make it. And a $100 bill would show up in her mailbox and that's, that's kind of neat in a way, but, but what, really, what really I want to focus on, my, my granny's faith in God, her personal relationship, her, her firm knowledge that, that she knew God, that is what got her through that dark valley. It was the relationship she had with God. And it didn't make it all of a sudden easy. Um, it didn't fix all of her problems right away. She probably never lived above the poverty line, and she didn't retire until she was in her 80s but she had so much joy from knowing God. And that's part of working through the dark valley, being able to walk through it is knowing God. There's there's another part to uh, working through the dark valley. Um, and In Bob Lively's book on Psalm 23, he writes about this. He says that we must trust the shepherd with our death before we will ever begin to trust him with our life. I think what he's getting at in here is that the darkest of valleys is really our own mortality. It's our own fear that one day we are all going to have to face death. And what Bob Lively writes in his book is that if we can face that while we're still living, if we can trust God that there is a hope beyond death, that we can live with a new kind of freedom. We can not be afraid of the dark valleys if we can believe the promise of the resurrection for us that Paul writes about in 1 Corinthians 15, he says, When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? And When we know that this life is not the only life we get, that there is a life beyond death, the hope of the resurrection for us to follow Christ that we get to be with God for eternal life. That makes the dark valley of facing our own death uh, something that we are able to follow him through. If we can be assured that God is with us in every dark valley, even in this darkest of valley, in our own death, then we can face any dark valley knowing that God is with us. This is what... Paul is thinking about when he writes these amazing words at the end of Romans 8. He says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, For your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul is proclaiming that there's no valley so dark that we can't trust God while we're in it. There's no valley so dark that we can't know that He is with us. There's no valley so dark that will take God away from us. And so we have nothing to fear. And so I don't, know, I don't know where you're at. I don't know if you are in the middle of a dark valley and maybe tonight you just need to hear a word of hope that God is with you. He has not abandoned you. He is with you and he knows the way. Um, or maybe, maybe you're not in a dark valley. Maybe you're like where I was, where the first three verses of this psalm still sound a lot better. And, and for you, maybe the takeaway is that uh, we, we can't just avoid dark valleys, but we have to grapple with, with, with how much we need to trust God in them. We have to be willing to follow God even into and through dark valleys. We want to be a people that agree with the last line of the psalm that God is our shepherd, not just in the green pastures, not just with the still waters, not just when our soul is being restored, but also when times get hard, when the valley is very dark. And so I don't know where you are, but I hope tonight that you can consider how will you respond to trust God with the darkest valleys of life so that you can live most freely and live, truly live, with God as your shepherd. Let us pray. Lord God, this is a hard word tonight. Um, It's a challenging one because in many ways we would rather avoid the dark valleys. God, we know that, that we are better off facing them, and we are a lot better off with you as our shepherd through them. God, help us to have your presence with us, God. Help us to know that no matter how hard life gets, no matter what we come up against in this broken world, that you are with us. You have not abandoned us. God, help us to know your personal presence in our lives so that we can turn to you and seek you and, and talk and and know how much we need you when the times get hard. God, keep us from thinking we can avoid this. God, I pray that you would make it true for all of us that we could follow you as our shepherd, Lord, that you would give us everything we need. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.